The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Is it possible to learn these powers? Not from another podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Movies Are Spiritual. We are talking about spiritual themes in Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Very interesting movie. I've got Drew here, the mega Star Wars fan, and Doug, the also Star Wars fan, major 80s movies fan. And I am the theology nerd. So let's get started. In Revenge of the Sith, this movie kicks off with an opening scroll, traditional Star Wars style. And as I was reading this, I noticed something. Like most of the Star Wars movies are about this good versus evil battle. But it seems George Lucas tried to write this movie to be more morally ambiguous because the opening scroll says there are heroes on both sides. At first, when I saw that, I was like, there are? Like, who are they? (laughs) And then as the movie went on, I started to see it a little bit more. But I wanted to ask you, what characters did you see struggling in this movie with moral ambiguity? I think that all is kind of on a point of view which will come back into play later on in the movie. Point of view on which side are you on, you're going to have a hero. If you're on the side of the Republic, you've got the Jedi. If you're on the Separatist, I'm sure they looked at General Grievous or Count Dooku as the heroes. They're leading their side. You know, it's kind of the same as, you know, like the Civil War. We had General Grant, we had Jefferson Davis over there, Robert E. Lee. Those were their heroes. So it just kind of depends on what side you're on. But Anakin, I think, struggles the most in this one. He makes several references that, you know, I'm not the Jedi I should be. He knows he's not supposed to be married. He knows he's not supposed to have children, and he finds out his wife is pregnant. As long as the story goes, he starts doing some things. It's probably not the best thing to do, but it's all based on his temptation. Sometimes just doing what he thinks is right. I think Anakin's probably the most troubled person in this entire movie. So, Well, I saw Padme ask, are you sure we're on the right side here? And I thought that was interesting that she would be questioning the Jedi. The tricky thing is the Senate is actually kind of on the bad side, right? I think they're getting duped to go to the bad side. Okay. Well, they're being led by Palpatine, who's also leading the Separatists at the same time. He can kind of control it, which way they're going and stuff. Yeah. And I think Padme is seeing like, you know, I think we're becoming the very thing that we're trying to fight against with the war and we're building troops and that's where we're heading right now. And in a way she's actually kind of right. They are heading that way, but that's just because Palpatine is controlling everything and manipulating everything. So she does kind of see through it, but you know, everyone else is kind of blinded to that. Yeah. It was hard for me at first because I was like, Palpatine deceives the entire government and swindles them to the dark side. But You know, it seemed like that was kind of far-fetched, and then I realized, wait a sec, the original trilogy is based on kind of World War II, and some of the officers for the Republic in, like, A New Hope, I mean, they're modeled off of Nazis, you know, Nazi concentration camp officers. So I was like, wait a minute, this has actually happened in real life, so it's not that far-fetched. Yeah. And you're talking about people in conflict, Obi-Wan was uh, conflicted about a lot of it because he knew that it was going on between Anakin and Padme. And he let it go, knowing that that's not what the Jedi want. But I think that goes back to what we were talking about, I think, last episode or maybe episode one, where Obi-Wan is the person who kind of divides the Sith from the Jedi because the Jedi are getting too powerful and too arrogant where the Sith they're fighting back and you need that happy medium. And I think that's where the struggle that Obi-Wan goes through. That's where he finally figures out where to go. Well, I didn't think of him, but I can see that now that you say that. And Mace Windu stuck out to me too, because (laughs) he wants to kill Palpatine at one point after Palpatine's killed some Jedi and attacked Mace Windu. And he actually wants to deny the trial to Palpatine and just execute him right there. Now I can kind of understand 
what he's saying, but I also think Anakin was right because Anakin's like, no, he needs to stand trial. And they say the Senate's in his pocket, but I'm like, do you think the Senate would still be in his pocket after they heard that he just walked in there and slaughtered some Jedi? Oh, I yeah. don't know. Well, remember earlier in the movie when they rescued Palpatine, Anakin's got Dooku, the lightsaber, and Palpatine says, kill him. He says, I shouldn't. This isn't the Jedi way. And he does it. And Palpatine says, his own words, he was too dangerous to be kept alive. Uh, so then later on in the movie, now it's Palpatine's in that position. And Mace Windu is saying that about Palpatine. He's too dangerous to be kept alive. So Anakin's just said, like, well, crap, what do I do here? Palpatine just told me to execute Dooku because he was too dangerous. Now, Windu is telling me that he's too dangerous. But really, I think the only reason that Anakin wanted him to live was because he had the power to help save Padme. Fire. If that was taken out, I don't think Anakin would have probably questioned it too much. It's just kind of a weird how that came back and Anakin's in that position again, hearing the same thing. And that adds fuel to the fact that the Jedi have become so powerful that they're like, okay, now we're we're not just keeper of the peace. We're now the judge, jury, and executioner, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Palpatine was doing at the same time. That's why Obi-Wan is the true hero of the Star Wars trilogy. Saga, I should say. He's one of my favorites. He kills everyone. Man, that's a good catch. <laughs> I didn't notice that in the moment. Yeah. He took out Darth Maul, he took out Grievous, he took out Darth Vader twice now. <laughs> he took out Darth Maul again, apparently, in the car. He took out Darth Maul twice. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's Darth Maul twice, Darth Vader twice, and then throwing Grievous, and then the multiple other things he's done. He is the Jedi. Luke, I get it, he's kind of the bloodline, but basically, he's Obi-Wan's the true hero. He's the Samwise of the Star Wars universe, the true hero of the story. Yeah. And he's not even in the original trilogy except for half a film. <laughs> That's amazing. He shows up every once in a while. Oh, he wins in all three of them all the time. Only as a force ghost, though. Oh, you're talking about the original trilogy. Oh, yeah, okay, never mind. He shows up for a second. Hey, you're going to go here. Bye. <laughs> hey, you kissed your sister. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like seriously, you couldn't you couldn't have popped in when I was on Hoth. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> Stop me. So I did notice in this film, the Sith, they kind of deal in this black and white type of thinking. There's a scene I want to discuss. It's when Anakin says, "If you're not with me, then you're against me." And Obi Wan replies, "Only a Sith deals in absolutes." So thinking about that and the moral ambiguity, did you see a distinction? between how the Sith think and how the Jedi think? Was one more black and white than the other? Uh, I think that the Sith are... Yeah, I think it's pretty much kind of a black or white thing. I think it's either this or it's that. I think they are all about power, and they're all about manipulation, and they're all about control. Yeah, if you're not going to do our bidding, then I have no need for you. I mean, think about, like, and again, when we get to the original trilogy... How many times did Vader just force choke somebody because they made a mistake? Like, I, I, all right, you didn't help me out. You're done. Moving on. That's pretty much how it is. The Jedi are a little more, I think they take a lot more into consideration when making their decisions. You know, what's the best for everybody and how's the better way to solve this problem? And I mean, they were supposed to be sent out to keep the peace and negotiate between like two warring you got a planet with a little war going on, the Jedi go in and try to make peace. The Sith are all about the chaos. So I think they're pretty much it's this or that. Well, I mean, yeah. But again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the whole Mace Windu saying, you know, he's too dangerous to keep alive. He's now making a decision that he's not supposed to. And that's like the next mini step to millennia into the future and if the sith didn't come back well now the jedi might be the new sith because it's like okay now well okay i killed the emperor and we saved everyone that was good that i used violence maybe we should think about using that a little bit more now mm -hmm. and then okay now now everyone's scared of us that's good okay 
it'd be nice if we, you know, maybe we can't sire children, but we do have needs. Why don't you bring in some people and basically I'm concubines. Yes. Snowballing here, but (laughs) one little thing and it may take another hundred years to take that next step. But I think George Lucas was trying to tell the story of what seems to be good versus evil. But in reality, it was two sides that are fighting. It's very similar to what we're going through today again. And it's like, we need to find that middle ground. You know, I really did like how they portrayed the Jedi as thoughtful. The Jedi were not really the black and white sneakers a lot of the time. And I, I kind of like that because if you look at them as a religion, which I think it's kind of portrayed that way. I mean, me being in theology school, I'm learning that all Bible scholars don't agree. There are quite a few things that they can't say with 100% what they believe about what happened here or there. I think that's interesting. Like There are theories, and I'm talking about unessential stuff, but there is a stigma that you know, religion is very black and white. And I like this idea being put forward that, well, there are some things that might be a little bit more ambiguous. They're doing that with morality here, but that can be done with certain theological issues. And I think that can be interesting. Oh, absolutely. A big change in my thoughts on religion and everything like that was when uh, I was going to a Sunday school class and the uh, pastor John Mansell uh, at the time was teaching it. We were kind of talking about this and he's like, all right, as a Christian, what are you supposed to do when I slap you in the face? And it's like, I'm supposed to turn my cheek. And he's like, why? (laughs) And then he told this story about, and I don't know all of it. I do apologize. But when Jesus was giving this sermon, he was speaking to everyone, which included slaves. And at that time, as a master, I was allowed to punish my slave by slapping them with the back of my right hand. Jesus may have been talking to the slaves and says, well, don't stand up for that. If they slap you, turn your cheek because they can't slap you properly. They'll either have to step around, which they wouldn't do as a master, or they'd have to break the law. So it's like Jesus wasn't saying just sit there and get the crap beat out of you. Jesus was saying, stand up for yourself. Somebody smacks you, say, don't, don't do that. You know, so it's very true what you were saying is, and that's why we have 20,000 different Christian denominations out there is because everyone's like, no, this means this and this means that. And it's like, well, take what you can from it. Just be nice. Find that middle ground. Be Obi-Wan. Yeah. Is that where the turn the other cheek comes from? That is one of the theories. The right hand would come up. So instead of you would turn the other they can't hit your cheek as you turn yeah you're yeah you're allowed to hit with your right hand on their right cheek if i remember correctly so if you turn your cheek again it's how you interpret it you know there are people i know who would be like no i don't think that's what he means that's fine i'm not saying you're wrong i'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying it's hard for me to believe a person like jesus the person he was would he was the first rebel, you know, or kind of not the first rebel, but he went against what a lot of people said. And then he would be like, oh, but if somebody's beating you up, just lay there until they're done. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Because it's like, well, how many times are you supposed to turn your cheek if they're slapping you left, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good example of there's two theories there and people could look at them both. And that, that's not black and white thinking. I like that the Jedi seem a little bit more, I guess, considerate or something. Now, I do think some of the things they say later are kind of weird, but we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So I would like to talk about this theme of prophecy that comes back in Revenge of the Sith. We kind of started talking about this in Phantom Menace, this prophecy about Anakin. But I'm wondering here, there's been all this talk about destiny. Anakin keeps having this dream that Padme dies during childbirth, and everything he's doing is an attempt to prevent her from dying. But I wonder, is this dream showing him his destiny, or does he create a self-fulfilling prophecy because he's so afraid of this, he makes it happen? 
this goes back to is Star Wars saying that we're all on this track and we can't get off of it? Or do we have free will in the Star Wars universe and he made this happen by his own fears? He made them a reality. I honestly believe and I think that those dreams that he was having are actually somehow put there by Palpatine. 100%. Ah, I agree with you. He was having Anakin have these dreams to get some fear into him, to scare him. And then it just opens the door for Palpatine to say, hey, I, I know, you know the Sith have ways of keeping people from dying. Anakin never mentions that to Palpatine, yet somehow Palpatine knew. And it's the way he said it to Anakin. We can even keep people from dying. And he looks at him. And that's when Anakin's like, oh, really? The dark side can, you can do that? So I think Palpatine was putting that in there and it played on his fears. And then Anakin just, it just started snowballing after that. And I think part of that is Anakin dwelling on it so much that he believed this is my reality and this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to do whatever I have to do to keep her safe. But that's just all part of Palpatine's plan. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Just kind of going nerd math here with you. Throughout the movie, and uh, one of the movies, I can't remember exactly which one, I think it's Obi-Wan asked Yoda something. He sits there and he concentrates and he's like, it's too foggy to tell. Mm -hmm. So Jedi's can sense the future or kind of see things. Luke happened with Luke in the uh, when he was training. Mm -hmm. But that's the pool from the dark side is you can get a lot more power if you come to our side. It'll mess up with your face, but you can get a lot more power. <laughs> so it's very possible that Palpatine could see multiple futures, kind of a Doctor Strange type thing. And it's like, okay, how do I get Anakin to be my Darth? Okay, we're going to go this route. Okay, so I need him to be scared that his wife's going to die. That's the route we're taking. I'm going to start manipulating, and yeah. he can probably project those dreams into, like Drew said, into his yeah. mind. I mean, when you're watching the movie, there's so many instances of Palpatine trying to corrupt Anakin. One of the first things he says to him in episode one is he says, you young Skywalker, I'll be watching your career with great interest. And then 10 years later, Obi-Wan and Anakin are having a little argument about trusting Palpatine. He seems like a good man. And Obi-Wan's like, he's a politician. What do, you, what do you think? He's managed to stay in office. There's something not right about him. Anakin refuses to see it. But when they're alone, Palpatine's always telling Anakin, I foresee that you're going to be the most powerful Jedi ever. You're going to be more powerful than Yoda. Well, after he killed Dooku and he said, I shouldn't have done that, Palpatine says, ah, you know, it's only natural. He cut off your arm. You wanted revenge. <laughs> and it's like, it's not the first time this has happened. Remember what you did to the Sand people? So, like, he's encouraging this. So, yeah, he's got Anakin right where he wants him. So, I have, yeah, that's why I believe he starts planting these little dreams in there. I have the power to save Padme is what he ends up telling him at one point. So Palpatine shaped Anakin's destiny. See, I've been trying to figure out if the films are saying destiny exists. Like we have some kind of fixed destiny that that's what we're going to do. We can't get off that track. We're destined to do it. Because you've got good people and bad people, especially in the prequels that are constantly talking about this was meant to happen. This is your destiny. You were supposed to be here to help me. And... I think I figured out they're just wearing their theology on their sleeve, but the film's not consistent because we still have Palpatine talking about, well, you need to look at the light side and the dark side, kind of giving him the choice. And later we've got Obi-Wan saying, you are supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. Like they're talking about choice. So I'm not convinced the film knows what it thinks about destiny. There's just a mix that they throw out there. Yeah. Well, there's another way to look at that is that it is about destiny because it just took a different route because Anakin was the person that was supposed to bring balance to the force before episode seven, eight, nine. And <laughs> at the end of, you know, in Jedi spoiler, he does bring balance to the force. He destroys the final Sith as he dies, leaving no more true Sith leaders out there. So he has balanced the force back to Luke, who can start fresh and rebalance. And I guess, you know, the story they told in 789 was Luke screwed up and 
brought back the force and there's clones and stuff too. But anyway, retcon George Lucas's six, the true saga of George Lucas. The destiny was fulfilled. It said from episode one, he's supposed to bring balance to the force. And by episode six, he did. Mm-hmm. So destiny was there. It's just, it kind of took its own roots. There's one destiny. When we're no longer on this earth, our destiny is we're going somewhere. One of two yeah. places. You make the decisions as you go through life. And once you get to the end, hopefully you're on the correct side. <laughs> yeah. I think the dark side sometimes uses destiny kind of loosely as a way of manipulation. You know, like, join me. It's your destiny. It's a gaslighting. Yeah, it's like they're trying to convince you that, no, this is the way to go. And I think the Jedi look at it as more of, like, the prophecy-ish, like, this is what he's going to go do. You know, like, it's a definite thing. But the dark side is just more of a, what is it? When after the whole battle with Windu, Anakin asks, you know, what have I done? And Palpatine says, oh, well, you're fulfilling your destiny. And I don't think that's really what it was. It's just that's his way of using that as a manipulation tactic. Yeah, he's like saying, yes, do more of that. Do more of killing exactly. people. Exactly, what you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing. You know, it's just, it's more of just a, a tactic that they use. Okay, so that makes it interesting because in some cases when the Sith use destiny, they're just really trying to gaslight someone yeah. into going down this path. Whereas when the Jedi talk about destiny, they're trying to enable someone to reach their full potential of what they think they could become. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think this balancing the force thing with the force having its own will and trying to balance itself, that sounds kind of like karma. Yeah. Like I said, that's still a little foggy on the whole balance of the force thing. I mean, it's never truly explained on what exactly is balance. You think you'd have to have equal parts dark, equal parts light to be balanced. Yeah, and right? I think you can. Luke had it. You know, he walked into Jabba's palace and. Force choke those things. Yeah, the Morian guards, yeah. And he did go pretty mad on Vader there at the mm-hmm. end. But he was still able to pull back from that. And I think maybe that's one way to say, look, you can use what they consider some of the dark powers, but you need to be able to use them respectively. I mean, a way to kind of shift that into Day's perspective and... I'm not pushing any side here, but the whole gun debate. Either way you go, this side's saying, well, we can use something dangerous like that, but we can be responsible with it. That way we feel safer in that, where we'll put guns in the middle. There are people on the dark side that use that as violence, not as protection. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at it that way, maybe that was the debate they were going for. He's supposed to bring that balance back. Well, what about a Jedi mind trick? I mean, you're influencing somebody and making them do something that you want them to do. You're basically invading their thoughts. So, I mean, that's almost a dark side trick, wouldn't it be? There's a good context to use that in and a bad context. Right. Like to protect life, that could be a good context to use it. But to use that to take money from someone or get something out of someone, that could be I would be a horrible Jedi. (laughs) <laughs> I would probably abuse my powers pretty fast. Here's something curious about this, too. And, Drew, you're going to have to be the one to confirm this, but okay. just popped in my head. All right, so I know Obi-Wan's used it, and I know Qui-Gon tried to use it. Yeah. What other Jedis have... Luke used it. Okay, Luke. He used it on Bib Fortuna. Did anybody from the Jedi Council ever use it? Maybe in the cartoons or... They did use it in Rebels. You know, we talked about it in episode one, how Qui-Gon was kind of the rebel Jedi. And he taught Obi-Wan, who ended up being the Jedi who found that middle path. And then Luke uses it. Maybe that's something Lucas was going for, was he's here to find the balance. Well, it was Qui-Gon who first played with the balance of the Force. It's like, well, I'm going to use this mind trick. He used it twice, actually. Did he? I remember yeah. he tried it on Watto. Yeah, but he also used it on Boss Nass to get Jar Jar free. Oh, did he? You're going you're gonna to speed us away. You're going to give us a transport. Well, it's interesting you guys bring up Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan using that and being the Jedi who are not on the council. Because Qui-Gon is the one 
who figures out how to become immortal, how to become a force ghost. And I didn't realize that's who Palpatine was referencing at first when he talks about only one person has found a way to live. Oh, that's not who he was talking about. It wasn't? No, he's not talking about Qui-Gon. Palpatine's telling the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. It's a Sith legend about how he was so powerful that he could influence the midichlorians to create life, which is how Anakin was conceived. He could even keep those he loved from dying, is what he says. Yeah, I remember that now. That's when he's going into the, you know, how dark side, you have all these abilities. And he says, but Plagueis was so powerful, the only thing that he feared was losing his power, which he did. But he said, fortunately, he told his apprentice everything he knew, and then his apprentice killed him in his sleep. It's ironic that he could keep others from dying, but not himself. Well, that apprentice is Palpatine. So he's telling the story of his Sith master. So he lies, though, because later we find out he doesn't actually know how to... No, not really. people from dying. But Qui-Gon does. Qui-Gon figured it out. Well, Qui-Gon figured out how to, yeah. Become a ghost, yeah. Yeah, he used what I thought, because of what Palpatine said, was a Dark Force ability. But maybe it's not necessarily a Sith ability... It's just a force ability, and either side can use it? I don't know. I never saw a Sith force ghost, but I think Palpatine really didn't know how to uh, keep somebody from dying. In in that sense, I mean, in a way, he kept Anakin from dying by putting him in a suit, but I don't think he can actually... I don't think he knew how to do it, because he even said, Anakin, you know, together, I'm sure we can figure out the way. Eventually. Eventually. So I think that was just, again, more BS that he was just throwing at Anakin's way to get him to come join him. Well, that's why I can't believe that Anakin ended up following him, because he had just said, after he attacked Mace Windu, he's like, what have I done? And then he finds out that Palpatine's been lying to him, and then right there he becomes the Sith Lord anyways. Oh, so like after the fight with Windu, and he's full-blown dark side, yeah. Yeah, to that point, Palpatine had implied that he knew how to keep someone from dying or bring them back. And then as soon as they kill Mace Windu, then suddenly Palpatine says, oh, well, I don't actually know how to do this, but we can find out, (laughs) surely. The ability to cheat death has only been done by one person, but I know together we can figure out the secret. It's like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) He he never said that he knew it. Keep that in mind. Ah, He said that he knew of the Sith Lord who knew how to. So again, you know, he was fan in the flame, fan in the flame. And then finally he did, basically Anakin went too far. Yeah. And he knows, okay, I've gone too far now to go back. I have let the Sith Lord kill my master or a Jedi master on the council. So therefore I might as well just, Lean with it. Plus, if I stick with him, we might be able to save Padme. Yeah, that's what he said. I'll do whatever you ask. Just help me save Padme. And that's like his only motivation to joining the dark side is to keep... It was just kind of a... I mean, it's sad, really, that he's going down this path, but he's doing it out of love. So he's going down this this path of hatred, but it's all because that he loves this one person so much that he really is willing to do absolutely anything to keep her alive even if that means i gotta become a a sith and go kill younglings i'll do it (laughs) you know that's crazy yeah i get it but that's crazy i liked this theme of trying to prevent death or overcome it because you know from a spiritual point of view the focal point of a lot of religions most religions is overcoming death, like getting to the next life. You overcome it, but you transfer over to the spiritual realm. So I thought it was interesting that this whole prequel trilogy is dealing with that subject of overcoming death, and we've got force ghosts. So what do you think the audience is supposed to take away from these movies when it's bringing up this theme of overcoming death? Are we supposed to take something away from this, or...? Is it just something George Lucas was dabbling with? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting the way they handle 
death in these movies. Like, you know, Anakin's mom dies. He's obviously upset. He takes his revenge out on the people who, I guess, technically murdered her. He grieves. He cries. He's upset. But then when he's talking to Yoda about it, Yoda's like, oh, you got to train yourself to just let go of anything that you lose to fear. And when someone dies, don't mourn them. Don't miss them. Just rejoice. Rejoice that they are now one with the force. And I've kind of heard that sometimes when, when you go like to a funeral. It's like, okay, today we're celebrating the life of this person. You know, you try to talk about the good times instead of dwelling on the fact that they're not there and you're crying. You're, you're, let's rejoice in their life and talk about it. it. Part of me is almost like, are we just not supposed to be upset <laughs> that we just lost somebody? Yeah. I mean, I get I want to rejoice that they're, you know, and celebrate the life that they had, but I'm still really bummed and depressed that they're not around anymore. How do you how do you just forget and say, well, I'm going to train myself not to be upset when something goes away? I couldn't do that. The worst thing they say after you lose someone, because I work a lot of funerals since I work for a church, but occasionally you hear people say, oh, they're dancing with God right now. And it's like, dude, that doesn't make me feel any better. No, I wish they were still here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't think Yoda's advice was quite right because I thought, I think it's okay to grieve. Like, don't grieve for the rest of your life, but like, it's okay to mourn and it is okay to miss them. His yeah. phrase, I wrote the quote down, mourn them not, miss them do not, attachment leads to jealousy. I'm like, it does? Like, you're going to tell your kids not to love your well, mom? Way that's true. In a way, that is kind of true, but... I mean, taken too far. Yeah. The ambiguity. Now, however you look at this, keep in mind that if you look at it the way I've been talking about, that's the advice from a Jedi Master on the Jedi Council. Now, at the end, Yoda goes into hiding. He exiles himself because I think he realized, all right, I took it too far. You know, I need to go and because he's a powerful Jedi with a lot of pull. He could easily, he should just fly somewhere else and be like, okay, let's get this rebellion back up and running. Here we go. I'm going to, you know, we need this. We need this. You know, and he's best friends with Chewbacca. He had a a battalion of Wookiees behind him. You know, where are they now? He says, I will miss you, Chewbacca. Yeah. Maybe that was either inconsistent writing or he didn't really mean don't mourn at all. Like he's got longer hair. So maybe enough time has passed because he's got short hair when his mom dies. Maybe enough time has passed that about three years. Yeah. It's Anakin. It's time to stop grieving, but you have to work to put that together as the viewer. Yeah. <laughs> if you just chop that scene out, you're like, this is terrible advice, <laughs> but maybe in context, it's okay. But maybe it was supposed to be terrible. Cause again, you know, just like some churches, they're not supposed to have attachments. Yeah. I think that's why he leaves at the end of the movie and goes in exile because he's just yeah. like, I've believed these rules for hundreds. I don't know how old he was, like 900 years or something like About, that. About, yeah. You know, he's held these beliefs for all those years. And now he sees that how the Sith manipulated one of his own. It's like, oh, shoot. Maybe I was wrong. Well, he said he failed. Maybe having attachments are okay, but don't let them run your life you know have those attachments and miss somebody when they're gone but at the same point be happy that this person's in a better place now right you you can mourn them you can miss them but realize that they're okay yeah you can't dwell on it forever Mm -hmm. i wish they'd expanded on that in the film a little bit more but i like that because i mean that is the big debate of does love make you vulnerable or does it actually make you stronger that's what kind of debate that is and maybe that's what he was thinking they just didn't spell it out real well it was unclear i like that idea. or maybe he'd left it that way so people would have conversations like this again you know it's just like any story or just like something you read in the bible he's putting something out there and it's just like what do you take away from this you know because I can write a story about how the Cubs are awesome. Drew is not going to read that story. No. But if I <laughs> write a story about how baseball is awesome. I'll read that. Drew, Drew is going to read that story. I think they're kind of going with the same thing where 
I can tell a story that goes this way, but I'm going to lose half the fans. If, if I go this way, I'm going to lose these half. What if I just leave it in the middle and let them take what they want? So I read a story about baseball and I'm like, this is a great story about baseball and I love Cubs. Drew would say the exact same thing, but he would end it with Cardinals. Yeah. His follow-up quote, Yoda says, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. I mean, that is good advice for Anakin's situation where he's obsessing and his fear is going to cause him to do something terrible. But it would probably be better to learn to live with the fear and not let it drive you to make terrible decisions. Yeah. That's more how most of us have to live. But Anakin, he's kind of risking going off the deep end because of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it could be Yoda's way of saying, just be prepared that this might not work out. Yeah. You know, maybe that's just Yoda speak for saying, just prepare yourself for the worst. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Yeah, it leads into this story where Jedis are supposed to be taken in as babies so they don't get attachments. Right. That's why everyone was so hesitant with Anakin to begin with, because he already had that attachment. Yeah, he was too old. Being gone for... He didn't see his mom for, what, 10 years or longer, years, you know? Yeah. And he still, you know, he found her and was just completely distraught. Yeah, that attachment's always there. We ought to be able to see hope in Obi-Wan's character because he's a character that breaks the rules and he turns out well. Like, he turns out, as we talked about, probably the best Jedi. But his opposite is Anakin, that's what happens when things go wrong, is you get Anakin turning to the dark side. Yeah. Really cool shot. The last time that Anakin and Obi-Wan see each other before they have their big battle on Mustafar, Obi-Wan's getting ready to take off to go to Utapau to find General Grievous, and Anakin's about to go do his Anakin thing. And while they're talking, before they get on the ship, Anakin is in shadows. Obi-Wan is in sunlight. Ah. Yeah, I thought always thought that was kind of a cool scene. Obviously, you don't pick that up the first time you watch it, but after a while, you're like, hey. <laughs> yeah, that had to be intentional. I'm sure that one was. But yeah, they put they put Anakin in the dark and Obi-Wan in the light. And that's the last time that they see each other before they meet on uh, Mustafar. No, it's the last time he sees Anakin, technically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he sees him again, he's, he's Vader. Do you guys want to talk about his turn? We kind of talked about the Mace Windu scene. What about when he goes to the Jedi Temple and just slaughters a bunch of kids? Brutal. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. It's brutal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, it's crazy. A couple months ago on TikTok and YouTube, I put up a short. And I was saying that when George Lucas wrote Darth Vader's arc, he wrote a very controversial story because Darth Vader is this Hitler type of figure. You could look at him as a Nazi officer or Hitler himself, maybe, maybe Palpatine's the Hitler, but whatever it is, yeah. he's complicit in what the equivalent of Nazis are doing. I said in this short video that it was controversial to give Darth Vader a redemption arc because it is similar to giving a Nazi officer or Hitler a redemption arc. Mm -hmm. And I put that out there and I thought it was interesting. It was cool because you're saying that Anyone can be redeemed, which is the whole message of Christianity. I think that's very cool. But I didn't bring in the religion there. Just the fact that I said Darth Vader is kind of like a Hitler figure who gets a redemption arc. I got pretty beat up by several Star Wars fans immediately for saying that because they were trying to defend Vader and say, oh, no, he didn't blow up Alderaan. It was Grand Moff Tarkin. But, of course, Vader's standing there. He's complicit. He's holding Leia back. But you cannot defend him and say he's not some kind of Hitler figure after watching this Jedi Temple slaughter scene, yeah. right? Right. I think what I said about Vader is legit. Like, he is a bad figure who goes through a redemption arc at the end. But people struggle to look at him as that bad of a figure. And when you watch this movie... They make you stare that theory in the face. Like, this is a bad dude at this point in his yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, Palpatine told him, go to the temple, do what must be done, don't hesitate, show no mercy, and then you'll be, you'll have enough power of the dark side. 
you'll be that much further into the dark side. And he doesn't hesitate. He marches his troopers to 501st. They march right on in there and take everybody out. And that scene where he walks in the door and that little kid still looking at him, calls him Master, Master Skywalker. What are we going to do? And Anakin just ignites that lightsaber and that kid jumps in fear. I'm glad they cut right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I didn't want to see that. No, they. Uh, <laughs> I think Lucas actually filmed a scene and the ratings told him, you're going to get a rated R if you put this in your movie. So they cut it out. Hmm. Interesting. That was his son, right? His son shows up later. When Bail Organa lands and the troopers say, hey, there's been problems. Yeah, that's George Lucas's son who comes out and takes out a couple of troopers before he's some British kid. But yeah, I mean, that's a very powerful scene. And I mean, you're right. That just shows that, yeah, maybe he didn't blow up Alderaan, but he didn't stop it. He went with it. He slaughtered Jedi. He slaughtered kids. And then he goes to Mustafar and he takes out everybody there. You know, and they're even begging with him. Please, please, please. And they're just, no, no, no. So, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely a bad guy. There was a real officer at Auschwitz who was on trial. And he tried to claim that he wasn't responsible for what he did in the death camps because he was just following orders. You know, that's kind of the kind of argument people yeah. were making for Darth Vader. It's like, no, he's really bad. Or he was at one point. I do like that they can make a terrible character like that redeemable because it makes you think about, you know, well, who who is still qualified to have a relationship with God? If Vader can, then that means everybody must be able to. I like that they would put something challenging out there in a movie like this. And I don't know what George Lucas was trying to say. I do think he was intentionally trying to make some spiritual commentary in these films. So I wonder if he really meant to say something about salvation because you know, I don't want to spoil Jedi too much, but he will show up as a force ghost. So we find out Vader became immortal, but it all does not look like it's going to go in that direction in this movie. No, not at all. Far from it. You know, there's part of me that always kind of wondered too, like, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, we get to Mustafar and Padme followed him there. Obi-Wan shows up, he tells Padme, hey, by the way, Anakin's kind of a bad guy right now. I saw a video of him killing younglings. What's funny is Padme doesn't believe it, but Anakin did tell her the story of him slaughtering an entire tribe of sand people, and she was kind of okay with that. And he did say he killed the children, too. Yeah, so I don't know why she's so shocked. Oh, no, 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 Anakin wouldn't do that. <laughs> you were there. She goes and she's trying to talk him into, you know, hey, stop this. You know, the war's over. Let's leave. Leave the order. Come with me. And he still has that part of him, I think, still has a little tiny bit of good in him. Because he's still looking at her like, I did this for us. I can save you now. But then at the same time, he says, like, I can kill the emperor and we can run the galaxy. And that's 100% Sith right there. It's all about that next step for power. So it's really like whatever little bit of Anakin was hanging on, it was still there. But kind of what Yoda said, how about jealousy can bring in the dark side. Love leads to jealousy. Obi-Wan shows up and Anakin just loses his mind because he's like, oh, well, now you're with Obi-Wan. And throughout the whole movie, Obi-Wan's been here, hasn't he? Almost like he's jealous that Obi-Wan's showing up. And I think that's the point where we lose Anakin forever. At that yeah. point, but the point where he force chokes Padme, that's yeah. when I was like, he's gone. Nah, I feel like the, in the Jedi Temple, the audience is going to stop siding with Anakin because that's way worse than trying to force choke Padme, but that's serious too. So that's uh, she's super pregnant, you don't want to, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, he is full blown evil at that point. Yeah, we had talked about some of the acting in these movies and how. It's kind of lame. It's the acting, the writing. I have to, hands down, Hayden Christensen is at his best when he is angry Anakin. But throughout this whole movie, I thought he did a great job. Like, there wasn't any scene where I went, oh, that's just painful to watch. He nailed this. This movie was his best. Every bit of it. Hayden Christensen did a great job. But when he has to play mad, angry Anakin was absolutely fantastic. That whole last part with him and Obi-Wan 
It was about one of the most fun times I've ever had in a movie theater in my life. <laughs> so I've been waiting to see that. That was cool scenes. Yeah. Let me ask you this just for fun. Because I think you're right. You know, I didn't like the second half of Phantom Menace. And I hated Attack of the Clones. Mm. But I did like this movie from the start. So I'm going to ask this question, though, still. Who has the most painful to watch scene in this movie? What's the most painful scene in this movie? Yeah, acting wise. Who has the most terrible moment of acting in this entire movie? <laughs> you obviously got an idea of what you want to say. I'm sitting here. Uh, I, I know what mine would be. Mine is Natalie Portman on Mustafar talking to Anakin. Really? I yes. thought she did okay there. She did okay, but the nothing whole. Nothing a lot. Yeah, the whole Anakin, you're breaking my heart. Uh, it's like, oh, God, this is just, that's not good. I think it's the way she delivered it. I just didn't like that part. Yeah. <laughs> that sticks out. And I think also when Portman and Christensen are talking in her apartment about who's more in love with each other. Oh, yeah, that was pretty painful. That was painful. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching this and I was like, this is like an adolescent, like a teenage relationship. But then I was yeah. like, wait. Are they teenagers? Maybe that was intentional because it could fit their age. Yeah, Maybe. early mid 20s. You didn't think of this scene? No, no, no. Power, unlimited power. <laughs> I, I thought that was cool. You know, that was him transforming into the emperor or palpatine. Yeah. Oh, once he goes bad, I can't take him. Oh, see, I love Ian McDiarmid. So I had absolutely no problem. <laughs> Didn't really think of that as being. Yeah, we do kind of laugh at that quite a bit, though. Yeah, that, how could you? you know, it's so bad, it's no, good. It's no. like, yeah, it is uh, so the, bad. The it's no good. at the end is the worst. Darth oh, Vader. Yeah, Vader. No. Oh, yeah, that was that was bad too. That was bad too. Yeah. If I had to pick a scene that's, I mean, it's not super cringy with the acting, but it's just. I don't like the scene is when Padme is giving birth, you know, she's just sitting there crying and it's like you live in an era where you have ships that can fly to universe to universe in no time. You got these tanks of water that you can just lay in for a few hours and you're all healed up. And yet you can't figure out why she's dying. She was sad and she was He's still able to Luke. Leia. And it was just like, wait, what? What even the robots like died of a broken heart. She lost the will to live. I I don't know, man. I have a theory about that though. Alright, yeah, I want to hear your theory on that. Because it didn't make any sense to me either. I was like, she just died because she was sad? Really? When we get to Vader popping up the first thing he asks the emperor is where's padme is she okay he says uh well it seems in your anger you killed her and he said no 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 she was alive i could feel it she was alive and then he starts you know getting mad and everything's breaking and the emperor is sitting back behind vader grinning and smiling because he's seeing vader getting angry again which is making him more powerful and I 100% believe that Palpatine killed her. If that is an actual theory that's going around, that he basically used and took her life force. And if everyone has the midichlorians and he's able to manipulate them that way. Maybe. I, I mean, that's that was just a theory that, like, did Palpatine actually kill her? Did he do something to manipulate her? Because how did he know? He wasn't there. You know, you killed her. Well, she was alive when they left. So how does Palpatine know that she died on some asteroid unless he could see it? He seems to be able to read minds. Yeah. I think that's been a theory that's been thrown out there, and I kind of believe in it. I guess it also could be my way of trying to explain how she died of sadness. I think it's actually Palpatine had something to do with it. I actually didn't think that was that crazy because of this. I was thinking, okay, she realizes she's going to have to raise twins alone maybe she's overwhelmed by that but the bigger piece is here she had someone that she loved that she thought was so good and she just watched them turn into a genocidal maniac so she's so traumatized and afraid because 
wow, now the most pure person could turn into Satan himself or thinking things like, how could I ever love someone again? Because I never know when they're going to turn dark like Anakin did and become Hitler. So Mm -hmm. I almost thought it was this fear of the future because of the awful trauma she just went through. It is sad that she can't find the will to live for her children, but I think that comes with how am I going to raise them alone and what if I find someone else and they go crazy like that and there are kids involved. Yeah. When I thought about all of those things, I could understand why she just kind of gave up. It's kind of like like a lot of older people when one spouse dies. I was getting ready to say that. A lot of the time, you know, within a couple months, they go to that. That ha- yeah. is not always the case, but sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that. I know there's cases of couples who pass away within weeks or a month or so of each other. But that's usually older couples. Correct. But I mean, so, you know, not not having that person there and the sadness you're feeling can really take toll on a body. So it's like, well, your body's already almost at max and now you're overclocking and it's going to yeah, expire quicker. Yeah. At the same time, I get it. I mean, she could have been depressed and sad and I get all that because she did just get force choked pretty bad. So, I mean, there is a lot to play at it. I don't know. I guess I didn't like the explanation of she just lost the will to live and now she's dead. But then seeing Palpatine say, well, you killed her and he's in the back smiling about it. It just kind of made me think that, I mean, heck, he's been manipulating everything else. Who's to say that he didn't manipulate her in some way just to get Anakin even more 100% gone. All right, guys. Well, tell me. Do you recommend Revenge of the Sith? Absolutely. Yeah. This is top five Star Wars film. I mean, it's right there with like, uh, I throw Rogue One in, in my top five. Between Rogue One, Jedi, and this one, I can't just, I can't tell which one I like better. Yeah, I'm um, the exact same, you know. so good. You rank them, you always have to put Empire first. You got to put the original second. And then, yeah. Those three Jedi. Are- Revenge of the Sith, and then Rogue One was just a complete surprise and so awesome. So, yeah, I would say you have to put that in that group. Yeah, it's, it could be three, four, or five. They're all the same, but it's incredible. And it was such a great way to tie in, you know, learning the backstory of Vader and seeing how he became Vader. What was the reason? We never really knew that reason when you watched the original trilogy. You know, with the original trilogy, you know Vader went bad. You don't know exactly how he went bad and what was the reasoning. And a fun thing between, like, after episode two and you're waiting for episode three to come out, you start doing all the speculation on, like, how is this going to turn out? What's going to happen? What's going to push him over? I always felt, I think my original one was, she's going to have the twins and then the Jedi are going to take those twins and take them from him. So he knows they're there. But they take him, and that's what's going to turn him over. I didn't think Padme died because Leia mentions that she knew her mother in Jedi. I was going to mention that. Maybe she just thinks it's uh, memories or Bail something. Organa's wife. Well, that, but I think in the Kenobi series, she knows that she's adopted. So she knows her mother had died. Her real mother had died. So it must be just a force thing that she has images I don't know how, but she does. But with that in mind, I thought, okay, Padme's going to live. That's a good point. You think about that. Yeah. Padme's going to live. The twins are going to be born. The Jedi are going to find out. They're going to take all three of them away from him and hide, and that's what's going to push him over. That was what I thought. So, I mean, wasn't too far off, but I just thought it was great. I think the, the fight sequences, the lightsaber battles, the leading up to him getting manipulated and that was so cool. And then and to see the purge of the Jedi, that was kind of a tough scene to watch too. When Order 66 goes in and you just see all these Jedi just all of a sudden getting turned on. And it's a fantastic movie. I like your version better where the twins are taken away from Darth Vader because I did find the whole trying to find the cure for death thing a little far-fetched because like if you put us in real life, say, I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my wife. I got to go find the fountain of youth. 
that's absurd. In a world where there is a force and there are force powers, that's not as absurd. But I think I like your version of the story of what you thought was going to happen better than what we actually got then. I like that version, but you have to go a lot deeper into it. Like, why are they taking them away from Anakin? Because they have midichlorians. Well, I don't know. I was thinking that he was probably on his way to the dark side at that yeah, point. Yeah, we, we need to figure out how to push him to that dark yeah. side. The fear of losing Padme is the catalyst that pushes him over, pulls him into the limit. So I like, figured he would have done something to kind of start really going dark so the Jedi were really scared yeah. of him, and then they find out that he has offspring, so they're like, and I was just trying to remember the original trilogy, and they said, like, you know, we knew that if Anakin were to have any offspring, he'd be a threat to the Emperor. You know, that's why you and your sister were hidden from your father. So I thought, oh, well, they're going to take the kids, and that's going to just drive him insane. I kind of figured she was going to die pretty early, because if they were to take all three of them, why would she be like, okay, well, let's split these up, so here, right, or brother, you take this one, or... Well, you're right. Why would they be adopted if the mom was still around? Yeah. So that's the only thing that made me kind of figure Padme wasn't going to make it to episode 3.5. Right. Did you notice at the end of the movie, uh, during her funeral procession, now they like pan down and she's holding that little carving that Anakin made for her in episode one? Did you know they still made her look pregnant? I don't know if you could tell that or not, but they still had her body look pregnant when she was at her funeral. Oh. oh, to throw off any of the spies from the Empire who may be looking at that. Oh, that's yeah. a good detail. To make her think that, okay, she never had kids. Good call. Wow, that's that's attention to detail you don't expect from a director like Lucas. Again, no offense, uh, yeah. George. Your movies changed my life. but yeah, yeah. We, we talk about how he's not a greatest of, of writers, but I think with this one, he actually did a really good job with the script, and the acting was a whole lot better in this one. Well, you know, it's the second movie together now. Like I said, I think at More towards chemistry. the end of episode two, you can see them getting together a little bit better. It's like, oh, we're more comfortable together because we've been working together for six weeks every day. So mm. by the time episode three hit, it's like, okay, I know how to do this now. I figured this out. So basically they're just picking up from the end of episode two where they're running smooth. Yeah. And I also recommend this movie. I yeah, really right. enjoyed it from start to finish. It's my first <laughs> recommend in the prequels. I know. I'm actually <laughs> thinking about changing my Phantom Menace recommendation to a green because I like Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon is referenced so much in this one that you kind of need to know who he was. And I liked that Darth Maul lightsaber battle. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Maybe you could watch one. I think in Attack of the Clones, I got really bored during that one. And I think if you just watch the scene where Anakin loses his mom and then takes out the Tuscan Raiders camp, that's all you need to see from that movie. <laughs> and then skip to this one, which from the beginning, it's much more exciting. The world yeah. feels really cool. The acting is better. It obviously has some moments where it's not great, like we talked about. But, I mean, I was pretty much glued to it this time, and I've already seen it several times before. So I recommend this one. This is the best one. See this one if you're only going to see one of the prequels. Don't see one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to go on a little nerd rant here. When we give recommendations and stuff like that for most of our movies, most of the movies we review are just movies. But... Star Wars is a historic movie, the Star Wars saga, just because of what George Lucas did back in 77. So these movies are always relevant in pop culture, in trivia, in conversations, always like that. When it comes to recommend, basically we're saying if we would watch them again or not, probably. But you should definitely watch all these movies because... For instance, when you ask a lot of people what is the greatest movie ever made, they'll say Citizen Kane. Right. I have watched Citizen Kane because it's a historic movie. I will never watch Citizen 
Arcane again because it is boring as crap. The entire movie, I'm just like, oh, God, please end. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate the storytelling. I get what they're going for, but I was born in the mid-70s. I was watching movies in the 80s, and that's a different style of filming, so it just did not grab me. And no disrespect to the movie, but I won't watch that. I love Citizen Kane, by the way. Yeah, see, Drew's <laughs> it's one it probably is one of Drew's favorite movies, but it's it's in there. If we're reviewing Son in Law with Polly Shore <laughs> and we say recommend or don't recommend, that's a good one to listen to. You know, whether you want to watch that or not. Movies like this, Star Wars, Godfather. Jurassic Park, Force Gun, Gone with the Wind, going way back, you know. Those are historic movies for a reason. When we say recommend, don't recommend with these Star Wars movies, we're saying whether we would probably watch them again or not. But you should definitely, definitely watch the first six. Yeah. And then wait until we review seven, eight, nine, and then decide if you want to watch from there. Yeah, I, I agree with Doug, because to get the full picture, you have to see one, two, and three. Otherwise, I mean, if you're not going to watch one and two, just stick with the original trilogy. Because, I mean, they have such a story that you have to get in. Even though it's painful to watch episode two, <laughs> there are some very important parts of that movie that you have to see to get where we're going. To understand why Anakin is who he is. And if you skip those, you miss it. And maybe if you're a reader, they've novelized all these if you're worried about the acting, the way we'd say things, read the books because they are really cool stories. Yeah. I haven't read the books, but, you know, maybe they even go deeper into some of the more political stuff in the world and things like that. And it might make more sense reading it on a piece of paper instead of watching it going, what is this Jamaican idiot running around with floppy ears going, all the time shut up I'm trying to watch a movie so maybe reading the book would be better yeah they definitely do go into a little more detail on some of the scenes they add a little bit to it yeah i get what you're saying though nathan it's like i've seen them now do i need to watch them again i probably won't you i mean i obviously i know i will <laughs> um, i'll watch one and three again <laughs> yeah and you could do that but i agree with doug when we're saying uh we recommend it it's more of uh i'll watch it again now, if you enjoyed the spiritual or religious themes in the original trilogy, in the prequels, they're going to up that a little bit. And they're going to yeah. show you a little bit more of the religion of the Jedi. And I think that's interesting. You will not get clear answers on how the Force works, how, you know, what the Jedi think about destiny and free will and those things. You're not going to get clear answers, but they are going to describe the force as having a will as more being a almost like it's a sentient being i don't know that it is it's probably more like a conception of the universe how some people view god but i think it's interesting to watch and if you're looking for parallels to christianity and judaism you're going to find more here in the prequels than anywhere else because the original trilogy is a little bit more ambiguous or maybe Buddhist monk type of inspiration. But here that that changes a little bit. And you've got the prophecy storyline and you've got a Messiah figure that kind of turns dark. So I always watch these. I think Anakin is a dark Jesus figure. He is like, what happens if Jesus went dark? And then at the end, he turned back and finished his mission. That's kind of what I think Vader is. So I do recommend it. I recommend the trilogy for that and as a study and even as a time capsule of where technology was because this was very innovative with CGI and that's kind of cool. So yeah. watch it historically or watch it to just get familiar with the Star Wars universe. You never know when it'll be a question on Jeopardy. So Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining me. Uh, if you enjoyed this video and this discussion, Subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, and we will keep making more podcasts for you to watch. Oops, wrong button. You just shot the audience. You just shot us. You just <laughs> shot the audience as we were saying goodbye. No one is ever going to watch us again. No. Go on to light speed.
And you're going to pull it right off. Is that a real hair? I wish it was a real hair, but it'd be stupid if I had just one real hair growing here and nowhere else. And how did it get that long without you noticing? I don't. Oh, I got it. I got it. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a Chewbacca hair. It's gray. Oh, he, Chewbacca's getting a little bit old. Yeah, he's got the gray in his beard. What the heck? All right. Well, got it. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe in myself. Okay, I, I just didn't want there to be any dead air. Don't cut any of this. Mm-hmm.